Hi everybody and welcome to yet another fabulous episode of Safra's Green and Greener show. Today I'm joined by someone who is very special. Her name is Jessica and I'm not going to do any introductions today. I'm just going to hand it over to her. And hi Jess. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, this is it's kind of special because this is only the second episode that I'm shooting in New York City. So I am very excited Jessica. I really hope you are too. Definitely I am. So awesome. Okay. So Jessica, if you can, you know, introduce yourself for all the guests that are listening and for me again and you know, can you describe your role, your current role as a senior sustainability officer at Deloitte? Okay. So again, I'm Jessica Wenya. Um and of course, I'm with Deloitte. Yeah. As a senior sustainability consultant, um but a bit about myself. So I had my master's degree at a prestigious Yale School of the Environment. <laughs> I needed to add prestigious because indeed, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> and then I had my first degree in environmental science. And that was back in Ghana, my home country. Um, and that's with my educational background. But really, with regards to me as an individual, I'm African for sure. Um, and I take a lot of inspiration from my roots, very important to me. Um, what do you think of Jessica? Really, it's more about, I love what I do. I'm, I'm always, for me, why I enter in sustainability is I believe strongly that businesses can thrive and still save the planet and the environment. There's, like, there's definitely going to, it's possible to harmonize these two, right? Um, and also a side that I really love to empower young people Anytime I get the opportunity, um, sometimes unsolicited <laughs> advice, but yeah, because really I, I always say that I wish I had that opportunity to not make some mistakes and I really don't want others to do so. So, um, any opportunity I get to sort of tell someone, I think you should do it this way, that way. I would always love to do that. Um, for me with young people, it's more about, okay, they believing in themselves. Cause I really, I think it's always the problem. Um, because once you have the confidence in what you carry, there's nothing you cannot do. So that's me, my background, my school, Yale, and that's environmental management, environmental science for my first degree. Um, I'm with Deloitte, and then I just love to empower people when I get the opportunity. Wow. Yeah. That's a power-packed introduction, Jessica, I have to say that. I love that. So take me through a little bit in your life. What? inspired you to pursue a career in sustainability okay cool all right um i don't think my journey is not it's it's very not conventional it's not really sort of like the straight path to sustainability i was on a path to the medical field um i really wanted to be a doctor maybe a pharmacist everyone everyone who did science back in high school wanted to do something that film like yeah i also want to um, and then plans changed. Things didn't go as I planned it would go. And then I, it took me on a different path to explore what else. Um, I, I think a friend told me, have you heard of environmental science? I hear something that people are picking up and I'm like, well, I'm just doing <laughs> it's better than nothing. So that took me more on another path of exploring really what sustainability is all about. And then even with that, I hadn't broadly understood what corporate sustainability is. So on that phase, I found myself as the office manager um, of a very small non-for-profit organization. My role was to ensure that operations were very smooth 
And I constantly found myself figuring out how can we do this more efficiently? How can we do this in a more cost-effective way? It made me think a lot about sustainable practices, not necessarily intentionally thinking about corporate sustainability. And I did that for about four and a half years, and I'm like, hmm, I think I'm getting bored. Of course, young people of today, we do one thing, we are tired. So I, I got bored, and I'm like, I have a background. I have an educational background in environmental science. I have practical experience in sort of the corporate space. How do I find a harmonization with these two? I don't want to lose my environmental science because I, I catch myself reading about all these things. And I also love to be in the boardroom. I love the energy managing things give me. So let me just switch from, because for some time I hadn't done much in environmental science. So let me just switch and focus more into something environment. But of course, I knew I didn't want to end up maybe just studying trees because I didn't want to go there. I loved the the whole like energy vibe with the business space. So that brought me to Yale and that changed a lot about my perspective, environmental um, management, but more so corporate sustainability. And really, that was it. And then after school, here I am with Deloitte um, helping businesses. So, Wow. That's pretty, that's, that's a really nice path. I mean, and I, a lot of stories that we hear, you know, are usually people who just stumbled into this career. Okay. Like, you know, they, they maybe started off with something else because like five, 10 years ago, the knowledge of the awareness was, I would say, meh, low. <laughs> and now it's like with every passing year, more and more people are like actively choosing to start their career in it. So that's, they com- completely make sense. So I have like a, philosophical question for you which is can you help me define sustainability but in your words yeah okay sustainability in itself um i can define by not just saying this so it has evolved so much that initially people are calling it um corporate responsibility others have called it um philanthropy others have had varied ways of terming that but now we have, and it all depends on through which lens they're looking at it. But now we have ESG and we have sustainability and then people interchangeably use it because to everyone it means the same thing. But in my view, I would and I would see sustainability more of a broader lens than ESG, but I'll talk on ESG as well. But simply when I think of sustainability in my own words, it's more about um, the decisions or the things we do now to keep our planet safe also doing it in a way that gives the future generation an opportunity to also have their needs met so it's more about what are we doing now that meets our needs doesn't have the planet and gives the future generation an opportunity to also meet their needs and what we leave behind um with esg on the other hand i think that esg has been something that even the corporate space have taken it a bit more and owned it then ideally we we would even hear people now say sustainability, but we hear ESG more than sustainability. ESG simply is the E and the S and the G, the E for environment, the S for social, and the G for governance. It's it's a framework, uh, or could I say a concept, by which um, a, a business or an entity could just assess their impact on the environment and society. So when you p- talk about impact, you could look at it from three key areas, right? So we pick the E. Um, impact related to the environment, we are looking at a company's ecological footprint 
when I say ecological footprint, what am I talking about? We are, th we are thinking about the company's carbon footprint, your emissions, right? We're also thinking about things like your um, water usage, your pollution, your water discharge, your effluent, what do you produce, what do you bring out, how is it impacting the environment? And then when we look at the S, the social impact bit, we are looking at, okay, the kind of relationship a business or an entity will have with your employees, your customers, your community, where you find yourself, not necessarily where your office is stationed, but whoever gets your products, whoever interacts with you, right? What's the relationship? And we see that reflecting um, topics like diversity, labor practices, community engagement. And then the G, which is governance, looking at impact from that point, you look at, okay, how is an entity or a business um, managing or governing their business? And in that, it also would consider topics like board diversity, a business's ethics and conduct, right? Some people would also look at a fourth arm, which not really, it's not everyone that would think about that, but I also believe that um, innovation is one arm of this. That is more multidimensional. When we look at the E, S, and G, innovation could cut across. Because when you look at the E, how are you going to be more innovative to do things differently? When you look at the S, how are you going to do that? When you look at the G, right? So that's the ESG in my view, and that's sustainability in my view as well. Yeah. I think it's very interesting because uh, you're absolutely right. Everyone is just using these terms so interchangeably. And I think it's creating a lot of confusion, even for the layperson, right? So don't worry, we, we do have a section that touches upon this in a little bit more detail. But thank you for, you know, giving us your take on it. So you also brought up that you're extremely, I mean, passionate about and you're also in the field of corporate sustainability. So if you can explain what is the true significance of corporate sustainability? Yeah, um, I'll just touch a bit broadly and then maybe we can narrow it to the business world because... Um, I think that for me, it's, I think what the disconnect is when we talk about sustainability and then just the corporate is, it's difficult for people to relate. And something that you are finding difficult to relate, you don't even know how to translate it in your business, right? So I think to start off with, um, and really in recent times or now, we commonly see people ideally perceive sustainability more of a distant thing from one's personal life or one's everyday life there's a disconnect it's like this is sustainability and this is me so because there's that disconnect it's very difficult for people to really think about how can this make sense or how can we incorporate it um, i'll just touch on i think three major benefits of sustainability and how you could also look at that from the corporate lens right so i think that when it comes to sustainability firstly it's it's promoting it's taking actions to promote efficiency and resource conservation and that of course would definitely lead to you having money in your pocket most people will look at it um from the short term and think who hmm, want like your money what do you mean by cost savings so let's think about it this way yeah you're using less water you're not gonna buy more water you are you are use, yes yes you are trying to figure out how to use less energy definitely you're not gonna buy more energy because if you're going to use appliances that are going to save you energy that will translate into the amount of uh, money you're paying for the energy you consume right secondly we look at sustainability in the lens of it improving the quality of life why do i see this if we are trying to figure out how to not pollute the environment you're not going to pollute the air you're not going to pollute water you're going to take in clean air 
taking clean water. It improves your life, um, right? Also, if you're gonna, if all these things have a ripple effect, what you eat is also gonna be clean. So once you get what you eat being right, you have a healthy body. So the third thing is really when it comes to sustainability, if you want to look at it from another lens, now we have a lot of um, community-based um, stuff or mobile apps that people sign on. And then it's sort of like, oh, we are all jogging. We are all doing yoga. We are all doing this. It's really the lifestyle. And it's, it's also an avenue to build community. Now, we first establishing the importance of this as an individual, like looking at you as an individual, how this could impact you and how you could relate to it and practicalize it. Bringing it to the corporate space, the same thing, right? If we are promoting efficiency and um, resource conservation, you want to look at it, okay, you have a business that is producing this product, right? Anyone that uses this product is supposed to use water using my product. How can I change the, the composition of this product so that it can do the same thing but use less resources? We eventually come to benefit you. Um, and that in its in its sense would also save cost. Now, secondly, we are considering quality of life. You brand and reputation is very important. If whatever you are producing is eventually gonna give people a quality of life, who doesn't want your brand? Everyone wants your brand. And then a third thing again, community building. Now we have a lot of backlash from um and that is where environmental justice comes in. We only consider from the point of what is a return of investment for me. But then you're yeah, trying to figure out, okay, what about the communities, the people that are impacted? Who doesn't want to love on a business that is sort of thinking about the community, right? So corporate sustainability in itself says it's not really just about we are making money this. Once we understand the basis, right, and the practicality of it, it will translate really without not, if you're not realizing it, so... Yeah, that's my view on that. A lot of times, like a lot of these movements and sustainability included, get this tag of being elitist or like you not one for the people because you're forcing people to make so many changes and, you know, they, a lot of people don't like change. So what do you think about this term being attached to a movement like sustainability? And the, again, going back to what I said initially, it's so difficult for someone to even want to think of let me um be more responsible in my practice when they don't really understand the whole concept and how it impacts them and people sincerely don't understand i've always said that um it's great that we have regulators really coming in strong to sort of um be the pushing force that moves um businesses companies industries to want to indulge in responsible practices or sustainable practices. However, most of these people would end up doing it just because the regulations are saying so just because we have a backlash, we have scrutiny, we have pressures, we have everyone on our case to do this this way. And you can you can see it when you have interactions with them and you can tell from the commitment that these guys just want to do something and move on. I love sustainability activism because it has really pushed the needle a lot. Um, but I I also would want to acknowledge that you could genuinely see some companies really putting in the effort to be very responsible with their practices. You see that they're trying to figure out what else could we do, what could we implement, etc. But 
one of the things that I've also realized that we don't also acknowledge is the challenges that come with businesses having to transition to a low carbon economy, right? Because for for a long time, these businesses have had structures, they have built their business for so many years, some 50, 100 years with maybe a high carbon model, and now they have to switch. So think of things like a business's internal structures, their legacy systems, right? Yeah, the whole ecosystem of the business, they would have to switch. And that is not something you just do in a spell of the moment. It takes time. Now, the other thing is with all this, you are left with stranded assets, assets you cannot use again. So I would want to see all this. And from my view, I think that activists or every other person that really wants to push with full force on sustainability to rather come into this with businesses from the collaborative point. How could we support it? How could we um, do this together? Because sincerely, most companies are still confused. They don't really even know what's going on. Like we hear a lot of what's going on. What can we do? What should we do? You know, so in thinking, and it's great that um, avenues like yours and many people are taking the step to create avenues or create opportunities to educate people on this is because of course businesses are in to make profit the first thing someone wants to find out is what is in it for me and before even someone wants to listen to you you first have to start a conversation what is in this for you before you move on to what you need to change because that also comes with a lot of um financial commitments right so activism is great because it has been a pushing force to really get people to do something because some people have really been adamant to this however we also have to find the balance how could we help these entities how could we make them see okay because every business in this whole profitability no one sets up a business and says okay i'm setting up a business and i don't want anything return because employees have to be paid um, utilities have to be um, sorted out you know so it's great activism is so great and it has done so much but I think we need that balance trying to also find a way to pull these um, businesses along outside they just be mandated to comply to these regulations and there's so many regulations coming up from EU to the US APAC name it right so I think it's great it's just that it'll be great if we think about it from the collaborative point of view as well I think that's a, that's a great answer and you've sort of helped me segue into one of the segments here. But before we get into that segment, um, there were a couple of words, right? We were talking about ESG and sustainability. So we finished sustainability. You also helped us with ESG. Uh, so there are a couple of other terms that, you know, me and I'm sure other people are real skeptical or we, we just don't know enough, right? Yeah. So if you can help me understand like the life cycle assessment, can you shed some light on that? Okay, so um, I think that I wouldn't even explain what life cycle assessment without not even first talking about circular economy because there's a connection in there. And I know that there's so many jargons in this whole sustainability umbrella and everyone's confused because every day they're hearing something new. Say someone here is greenhouse gas emissions, I'm wondering what is that net zero, net positive, <laughs> net negative, everything. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure what's going on, but I'll first start with, I think I'll just start with net zero and the others, and then I'll move on to um, life cycle assessment because that's also tied to circular economy. Um, I think I did talk about ESG and I talked about the E, which is the environment, and that is a big umbrella 
Unfortunately, when people hear about sustainability and ESG, all they think about is climate change, but it's a bigger umbrella, right? But net zero would sit under the climate change umbrella or the environment space. And if we want to make this very practical or bring it to the layman's understanding of what net zero is, you could just break it into two net and zero. When you want to net out something, balance it out like mathematics, um, positive, negative, it balances out. So if you're looking at the positive, what you emit, the negative, what you don't emit, what you remove. So having a balance between what you emit in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and then what you remove in terms of taking it out and then there's a balance. And we see most companies now trying to work so hard to set up set net zero targets, figuring out how could we um, reduce what we emit and balance it out. Um, and then we talk about circular economy, which is tied to um, life cycle analysis. Circular economy is something I'm so fascinated about. In this whole sustainability space, if there's nothing I thought I'd ever want to do, I would ever want to do before I say, okay, I'm retiring a circular economy. Because it's so practical. It makes sense. Um, it makes sense in the sense that it's more about how else can we do this? How else can we? And of course, I've been I've been seeing a lot of efficiency, right? Um, resource conservation. How can we um, ensure that we are using less to get what we want? And that is really circular economy. It's sort of moving away from the take, make, dispose model, which we have been so used to the traditional linear model of we make some, we take the raw materials or the virgin materials, we make what we need to make when we are tired of using it, we throw it away and then it's, we don't care. And now circular economy is saying that, why don't you rather look at this from a different lens? whereby we are thinking of durability, repairability, recycling, reducing waste, or not even getting waste. And in this big umbrella of circular economy, then we have life cycle assessment. Now we want to pick a product. Even before we make the products, we want to figure out what, where do we start from? And that also means you want to consider supply chain, which I'll talk about later. But now if you're looking at life cycle assessment, I think the terms are so much that it's difficult to understand, but we can break it down. The life, the cycle, the assessment, the life of the product, what are the cycles that the product needs to go through before it becomes the product. Now we are assessing that whole flow. Where is the raw material coming from? Where did we pick it from? Was it from a sustainable place? Okay, let's see. We used coal. When I mined the coal, when I digged the coal, did I cover it up when I finished? If not, you should know that that's where the ESG comes in. You have a problem with the S. You didn't cover the hole. This could hurt someone. Now the S, someone is going to get impacted, right? So, well, after digging, what else? At a point, we may not get it again. How are you digging? Is it a sustainable way? Are you sourcing a well? But you want to assess, you want to look at what we're using more energy here, this, that, that, all the way, all the way to manufacturing how did we do it we're using more what are we using more energy how else could we do what kind of energy is it renewable is it not renewable fossil fuel etc now the product when we package this product what did we use plastic is it renewable is it biodegradable how else can we do it fine we package it now when it got to the retailer how is the person handling this is it plastic bag is it paper bag now it gets to the cost the customer the customer takes it home after using it how are they managing it we have some companies who are actively saying that, you know what, we are going to give you bins so that when you are done, you can sort it out and we'll come for it, right? That is um, also another responsibility that, well, it's expected that 
companies start thinking about that. So if we want to talk about life cycle assessment, it's a long chain looking at the whole supply chain. And for companies that have very complex supply chains globally, it's headache, right? So that's um, um, circular economy and life cycle assessment. But I can't talk about circular economy and not talk about recycling and upcycling. These are two interesting, um, again, um, concepts within circular economy. So recycling, we are all we, we all know recycling, whereby we are seeing that, you know what, instead of me terming this as waste and we are not going to do anything with it, I'm going to take it. So for example, the dress I'm wearing, I'm tired of wearing, I don't want to take it. I don't also think maybe someone would want it. So let me just throw it away in some landfill. But instead of that happening, I as a business can take this dress, tear it apart, break it down, and use it as a base component for another product. That means that it's not going to be the same value it was when it was done using virgin material. However, it's going to be something else we could use. Now, when we talk about upcycling, that is different. Upcycling, we are not breaking down this dress I'm wearing. We are saying that, oh, this dress was... um was a shirt. Why don't we make it a romper? So I don't tear it apart to make something different, but I just decide to close up the bottom and then it becomes shorts and you can use it again. So all these are more of let's not throw away, let's not waste. Upcycling is looking at how can we reduce the amount of raw materials we are using to make something and recycling as well. We are going to take the waste, we are going to change it, but we can still maybe add a little raw material or not. So those are the two concepts. And these are all terms that people may hear or come across as we go along. And then finally, um, sustainable supply chains, because we are hearing that a lot. And with that, I think that it's simply how are you ensuring that you're integrating environmental and um, responsible environmental and societal practices along your supply chain. And that is top. <laughs> Very tough for companies. Let's say, for example, um, these companies that have franchises, your name is on the company, but you don't really have so much oversight to an extent to what these businesses are doing. And that also has been complex with emissions. Scope 3 emissions is headache, right? But these are some terms that are in sustainability or that you often would hear a lot, um, net zero. Now when you open sustainability reports, you see net zero by 2030. You see that a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think um, I I don't know what's the perfect part to make it more accessible to your everyday person. But uh, yeah, I mean, there are companies that are giving that a start, like, you know, trying to really break it down. So it, it, it's a very interesting thing that you brought up, scope three. Like, you know, because similar to or not similar to the other terms you use, like, you know, net zero, let's break it down. Scope three. I don't know if we can get it out. So yeah. you can tell us a little bit about scope one, scope two and scope three. Yeah. And then we can move on to the next segment. And again, I can talk about scope one, two, three. I don't even talk about what is greenhouse gas emissions. So greenhouse gas emissions, again, to help the layperson understand, I'm going to break it down, the greenhouse and the emissions. Let's pick greenhouse. You know, when we go into agricultural farming, they also have a greenhouse, and that's really where the concept is coming from. A greenhouse is really just a structure with walls, a covering. Ideally, the walls would be either glass or plastic. What that is meant to do is just to create a controlled environment whereby these plants can grow well, 
sometimes normally it's more of a very warm climate that you sort of house in the space to get these plants to grow well. Now I'm bringing that into our planet Earth. We have greenhouse gases, right, that are in our Earth's atmosphere. They would ideally absorb infrared ra radiation. It's meant to prevent we always getting the direct impact from these radiations. They have a place. They are not terrible. They have a place. However, too much of everything can be bad, right? So more of that now, they, so they absorb and emit. So they sort of have this cycle. Now, too much of that will mean that absorbing more, emitting more. And that is why we have the global warming and it's getting so hot. So these are greenhouse gases. These are gases in our Earth's atmosphere that, that absorb and emit infrared radiations, which could be very harmful to us. Now, moving to these categories, which is the um, GHG protocol, the greenhouse gas protocol. These are sort of um, a body that helps businesses to measure and account for their emissions, where they are emitting. So they have categorized these greenhouse gases into scopes. So when we talk about scope one, is really the emissions from your company or business from sources you control. So for example, I have a business, I have cars, emissions are coming from the cars. I own the cars, I control these cars. So these are my scope one emissions. Now we talk about scope two emissions. These are emissions from sources that are not owned by me or controlled by me, but specifically from energy production. So your utilities, the energy you consume, electricity, the emissions from that production is your scope two. You, in as much as you don't control it, it's your scope too. It exists. And that is so what I did call that indirect emissions, your indirect emissions. And then we have the scope three emissions. It's also your indirect emissions, but that is the complex, the, the most complex category. You don't own it, you don't control it, but it exists along your supply, your value. Let me say the value chain. When we say value chain, I'm looking at upstream and downstream. Upstream is everyone that that the producing your products has to pass through all the way before it comes. It could be from when you have the raw material, if it's addressed, where the cotton comes from, who will drive the cotton to the production, when it's done, who will drive it to this, that whole chain. Everything they do that emits greenhouse gas is just scope three. And then finally, when it gets to the, um, when we say downstream, the customer, Whatever the customer does with your product, whatever emissions, it's your scope three. So I purchase, um, let's say, a microwave or any appliance. Anytime I use this appliance, the emissions that comes as a result of that is still tied to me as a business. So that is my scope three. And that is, that is the most difficult thing that currently companies are trying to figure out how to account for. Because where are we getting all the data from? How are we going to get it from, right? So these are the three categories. It's a categorization by the GHG protocol just to sort of make it easy for us to figure out how we measure and account for these emissions. Yeah. So you've put it perfectly. I don't think anyone could have done a better job. So thanks for that. And uh, I think in the previous segment, we segued into sustainable activism, which I'm very uh, interested to, you know, talk to you about. So... Um, a lot of movements, including sustainability, sometimes advocates for things like, oh, this causes so much pollution, let's shut it down. Let's, you know, cut, 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 and, you know, 
you know, start from A and reach Z like this. So what's your take on these kinds of calls in activism? Is it something that benefits or negatively impacts or yeah, let's talk about that. Well, I wouldn't say it's terrible. It's important. It has its place because as I said initially, it's it has been a push and force to get even regulators to really think hard about this, think hard about climate, right, and what's going on. And when we talk about climate change, it's important for us to also consider the urgency to this because sincerely there's an urgency to this. When we consider what the Paris Agreement has aligned, reducing our global um, warming to two degrees or less, we need to think hard because the clock is ticking. Um, however, however, as I said previously, it's um, yes, companies need to shut down. They need to aggressively do something. But my heart goes out to a lot of companies who have to now think, what can we do? How do we figure that out? Because that would mean that a lot of assets will need to be reevaluated. We need to um, figure out, are we just forgetting about them? Are we just, what are we doing about it, right? So that challenges that we also would need to consider and then we could figure out how could we help companies in that light. The first thing are financial constraints that would come with this. Most companies um, would need to make upfront investments. We need to buy new technology. Everything has to change. These are upfront. It has to be done. Um, are we going to get financing for that? How are we going to go about it? We have to think about that. We are also going to lose a lot of things because now whatever it is that was giving us a more stable um, directional income, it's going so it will take more resources to recalibrate. Do we need to get more employees to come and figure this out? So it comes to that financial constraints, right? And then the other thing too is your supply chain. Now, you have a supply chain who has been doing things of sustainability. How can you get them on the right path? Now, we are talking about all the way from where you're getting your raw materials all the way down because in some time to come, you need to start measuring scope three. If they are not doing the right thing, that means your scope 3 is going to go so high, right? The headache of trying to trace back and figure out how could we make this work is also another thing. So look at financial constraints. We are even looking at um, transition risks. We are transitioning to a low-carbon economy. What are the risks in there? We are changing lots of things. How do we figure that out? So all this is more of to, um, and then now you have to do supply audits right your supply chain audit certifications you have to now because we are thinking about the es and g the s now we we know of fair trade we know of the rainforest you have to now get the right certification to ensure that the labor practice along your supply chain are are doing the right thing responsible practices i so really i i really really think that activism is very important but i also think that you have to find a way to sort of pull these companies along and that is why people like myself and then most consult sustainability consultant firms are there. And we have most companies coming, companies who genuinely want to do something, coming and say, oh, where do we start from? What do we do? Give us a strategy. Actually, give us a roadmap. We can't do everything now. But tell us, okay, this is your problem. And you can't do this in one year, right? So start from here. And that's the kind of hand-holding that most companies need right now because they are so lost and they don't know what to do. Activism, activism should stay, but we need to figure out how we don't just um, 
only think about shutdown, do this, do that, but how could we? And I do know that elements of environmental justice and all this, right? And most often we talk about sustainability and we don't also think about the other side. If I really want to be sustainable as a business and then the some of the assets I use are high emitters of GHG emissions, and there's a whole department that demands this, if I'm going to change this technology, I think I'm letting all of them go. That's hard, right? So we need to find a balance. Yeah. So um, just delving a little bit more into the challenges part that you spoke about. So, of course, financial, uh, you know, problems are definitely a big, uh, let's say, thing to consider for these big companies. But are there any other challenges that companies, big, small or medium, could face when they try to transition towards more like cleaner alternatives? We have the financial bit. We have the transition risks. I mentioned that trans transition from the high to the low carbon space. We also have the technology innovation. Now we have to figure out how can we go green on our um, design, on our innovation, creativity. Are we bringing in more talent? Are we letting the old go? What are we doing, right? Do we need a consultant to come in and figure that out? So now you're your technology, even your resource, you need to now figure out what you need to do. And then there's also the challenge of considering long-term versus short-term. Are we making a, a short-term investment for a long-term sustainability benefit? And that is where a lot of companies are still grappling with. Are we think, should we think about this in terms of making a short-term investment for a long-term benefit? Right, and that is the the one of the huge challenges companies are facing. So yes, financial resource constraints, technological constraints, and also when you want to think about ethical source. And now, if you if you really want to be ethical, you have to change your suppliers. Now you have to start figuring out the suppliers that you have built a relationship with, who are not willing to change what they are doing because they also have other people who like what they have. So if you don't like what they have because you want to be sustainable, all right, you are losing your long-term supplier. So there's also supply chain um, challenges in there. Or if you want your suppliers, you notice even that some suppliers are having labor issues and you want to still keep them, but you want to figure out how you want to go about. That means I have to do supply chain audits. You are not going to pick a lot of auditors because these people are not going to pay to have auditors. Well, they were very fine before you came in or whichever way, they, you're not the only person that are sourcing products from them. So now you have to invest into some deep supply chain audits, right, which also is resource intensive, financial constraints here and there. The other bit is regulatory compliance. Now we have a lot of regulations coming up. Talk about the U.S. We have the Securities and Exchange Commission coming up um, with a proposed climate-related disclosure rule. It's not yet passed, but companies have to start aligning to some of these requirements before it's passed and then it's full swing. When you talk about the EU, we have the CSRD, which simply means Corporate Sustainability Report and Directive. That is already passed in full swing now. If you were a U.S. company, perhaps you are headquartered in the U.S. and you also have global footprints in Europe, you still have to work on complying to these requirements. We have APAC and a lot of things. So this is also an area that we have currently seen a lot of companies grappling with. So you have companies coming to um, us, like mine, them, or other 
um, boutique firms, et cetera, to figure out, are we um, regulatory ready? So we'll take them through, what do you have now? This is what these um, regulations are requiring. What's the gap? You have staff fixing it before it's in full swing, or you have staff fixing it now because these rules are in full swing, right? The other thing is data and reported. That is a huge thing. Now, we hear Greenwash, we hear so many things, you know, we hear so many, we see a lot of things, publicity, marketing, you buy products, you see so many things, and we are asking, what is the data to back this? Also, I spoke about scope three emission. Where are we getting the data from? People are not doing a great job with accounting for all these. There are times you see a company's um, um, GHG inventory, I'm like, what's this? No one has really been a bit more intentional in getting this um, data to be in to be well sourced. Then we are trying to figure out what are the processes and controls around this data. How are you taking it? What were you considering? Where is it coming from? So data has always been a challenge when it comes to sustainability. We have investors now looking really wide into these information. We even have financiers who wouldn't want to give anyone who wouldn't want to finance any project until they are sure that really we have data to look at and then the reporting bit that's also another thing what are you reporting right now we have a lot of frameworks and standards that are, are meant to help companies we have SASB GRI we have TCFD talk over so many jargon so many acronyms I know um, but all these are available to help companies to report in a more credible and accurate manner. So that is a challenge. That has been a challenge for companies. And now I hope most companies, and we see most companies are getting the memo on, you need to do it right, because now your investors are asking questions. No investor would want to, or shareholder would want to put their money or resources in a space whereby there's uncertainty. Because once you, you are liable to regulation, that's litigation, that's um, public pressure that scrutiny no one wants to attach themselves to a company that is going to be very backlash right then the other thing too is employee engagement um in one of my before i joined Deloitte, i worked with another very great um sustainability focused um company global company and one of the things that i helped them do was sort of to create these um very simple straightforward steps to step ways whereby companies could help their employees to be more sustainable in how they are working. So simple things like um, ride share, simple things like um, using a bike instead of driving. What do you need to use a plane? How else can we do it, right? So trying to sort of have buy-in from employees at all levels. Now you see companies trying to tie um, sustainability related goals or targets or KPIs to remuneration, salaries. You have to be sustainable, else we are cutting this down, right? So these are all targets. You have to meet this target and it's tied to your um, earnings. So having the buying is also huge because you, you have to figure out who needs, most companies are now thinking we need an ESG board. We need an ESG committee. We need a governing body that is gonna drive this this whole agenda and make sure that there's buy-in, make sure that everyone from top, top, bottom, bottom down are really getting this. So these are also other constraints that companies have to deal with. Um, 
to to be more responsible these stuck in that phase right like this is too many challenges for me to even take that first step so yeah i completely get it but then on the other hand you also have like the the huge companies right that are like you know putting all their data out there putting the showing people that they're putting their money where their mouth is and like yeah. see this my scope one scope two everything uh, reduce so yeah i do want to touch up on uh you know companies and their sustainability reports but before that uh you spoke about a couple of abbreviations you said sasb you said gii and you know i i i know about a few of these but what do you as a consultant use or you know prefer as a frame of reference when you're talking with your client so you know if you had to explain it to someone what are the most commonly used reporting frameworks um i would there's so many but i'll just touch on the the ones that are very popular now or the ones that and most of these have a targeted sort of a targeted maybe for lack of a better word i'll use audience for example when i say tcmd which is the um task force for climate related um disclosure they are more targeted the framework that they sort of have to help you report on your sustainability efforts are targeted to investors ideally what would investors want to see so that is carved in that way so if you're a business and you and often than not you'd have people in the financial sector using the TCMD because that applies to them and applies to more of the FSI the financial space side so if you're a company and then this is what this is the kind of stakeholders that you are considering for your reporting we would ideally would want to consider figuring out how are you going to report to fit this framework right and then we have SASB SASB is also another one that we would ideally use with that it also um also more also in the financial space i think that now most people are thinking about their investors a lot we don't want to lose our money so how can we please them right um which i don't entirely buy into that is great but what about the others so of course again balance that is also another um that is also another framework where you would want to disclose um within really the intent is accurate credibility transparency is just trying to push out information from you by looking at how you're supposed to report, how you're supposed to answer questions, how you're supposed to match all that. And then you have the GHG protocol. The GHG protocol is is I think it cuts across. It doesn't have an audience base. It's just helping you to measure and account for your emissions. Um what else do we have? We have the GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative. That is very global and universal. That was how it it was created to make sure that it applies to every industry entity. Um it is very industry agnostic with the with SASB. That is industry specific. So for example, if I'm into um let's say construction, I could find what applies to construction and then work my way out through the framework given. So that is it. we see more companies use the GRI for sure you also see people use a TCMD because they have investors and they would want to figure out how to report in a way that appeals or a way that fits that particular stakeholder group so yeah normally would have a conversation with a company and try and figure it out 
But most importantly, and now most companies or most people are beginning to ask, how sustainability is broad. It's sort of like a universe of topics, right? So where do we focus our resources on? We can't do everything. We need to start from somewhere. And that is how that is where materiality comes in. We've heard it a lot and people are wondering what is really materiality. It's very critical when it comes to ESG sustainability. You have to decide what is of value to the business. Are we looking at energy first? Are we looking at emissions first? Are we looking at um business conduct? What are we really what do we want to focus in? Right. So that is also another component of sustainability that now we ideally would encourage companies to first decide what is material to your business and your stakeholders. And once we identify that, then we can pick it up from there in terms of, okay, if this is important to your stakeholders or to your business, this is what you should be considering. Like a little bit of reverse engineering, like, okay, what is important? Then let's work sort of backwards. Yeah, because that's very important. Other than that, you're just going circles and you're not doing the right thing because you'd want to please your stakeholders. You'd also want to make sure that you are making sure that your business is still running. Mm -hmm. So you want to weigh both. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And uh, there are just so many frameworks and terminologies. So, yeah, I feel like we've covered some of the most important ones. Um, And that brings me to your journey. Like, you know, you see you are a senior sustainability consultant with Deloitte. What are the frameworks that you use on on a day-to-day basis? Well, when it comes to my job, my what I do and where I sit is under our audit practice. And of course, any auditor is very would take a very keen eye to what you have there. So we would do a we would look more on the reporting and disclosure side. However, we still also find ourselves in um projects whereby we are helping with strategy, trying to f- help a company figure out, okay, this is your roadmap, this is your implementation plan, this is what you should be doing. Uh, we don't really have tailored frameworks because we ideally would work with um the ones out there. Our job is to first ensure that we know what is material to you. We know what jurisdiction you find yourself in, in terms of regulatory compliance. And then the regulation, the requirements are already there. We just have to look at it and see how we could help you to meet those. We also would want to run an assessment to see where are you now, where do you need to be, your current state, identify the gaps in there, and then we help you to get to where you need to get to. So on a daily basis for any project we find ourselves in, well, first, we take the basics, try to better understand where are you now, where do you need to be, what are the gaps, how do we bridge the gap, what are the resources needed, and then we pick it up from there. If it's your emissions, what are your controls, your data controls and processes, are they in the right spot? If not, we have to get it to the right spot. And then we'll make recommendations. What are the remediation actions you'd want to take, right? Um, you don't need to start immediately, but you need a plan. And then if you still want us to, to hold your hand through it, we would. ESG is, is, is an unending journey. It, it doesn't have, it has a beginning for sure, but it definitely doesn't have an end because you want to come to a point whereby it's a part, it's imbibed in your operations, it's a part of your business, a part of your lifestyle. So at every point in time, we want to figure out where are you now, where do you need to be, how do we help you get there, and then all you need to do is just to make sure that you're maintaining the flow. Nice. That's Sounds awesome, right? As the light of a sustainability consultant, I love that. So um, just a little bit, I want to know more about, you know, the different kinds of projects that you've worked on. 
So is there any one project that, you know, I think you've been in Deloitte now a year and a half, mm-hmm. almost two. So any project, you know, without taking the client's name, of course, that really stood out to you? Yeah, I think that for me, um, on any day, every time, I would go in for projects that ideally would involve a materiality assessment because that is the genesis of everything, really. To be able to understand what you need to do, first need to understand what is material to you, right? Um, and once you get to that point, it's like a whole light bulb is switched on. Okay, oh, so really, and that is a whole process because we ideally would engage your stakeholders, have conversations with them, try to understand what is important to them. And then we work it that way. We also will look at your business, what internal and external stakeholders for sure. Look at your business as well of trying to figure out what is really important to you. And then we'll look at all these framework standards, requirements that exist, and then also look at what are they requiring of you. Bringing all that together, we'll also look at your peers. What are they doing? What's the industry's trend? Because you also don't want to be a laggard, right? You also want to make sure you're a part of the sustainability leaders who are doing something great. So we'll look at all these faces to better understand where you fit, and then we try and start to work out what is necessary, which is always a great adventure so i'll say that yes it's something that i would ideally love we also had an opportunity to help business with strategy um and now of course i didn't define a bit about net zero right it's not enough to set a target what strategy do you have to meet that target what kpis do you have we work on that journey with you to first understand where you are now understand your business and then if you'd want to set such targets, do you want to, want to make sure that they are science-based targets and not just setting these in space? It needs to have that scientific backing because, of course, we are all aligning to the Paris Agreement, right? We're about warming two degrees or less. So that's just fits that frame because you don't want to set targets that are empty or targets that are not to and not to a bigger goal. So these are all strategies that ideally would want to deliver and work towards with a client. To make them not just a greenwashing company, but whatever they are doing is backed with science and backed with um, facts and data. So we've been having this awesome conversation, a lot of technical terms, and you know what other companies are doing. But I want to take this section to focus a little bit on Jessica. Okay. okay. So a little bit about you. We do know that you went to the prestigious Yale. For sure. <laughs> To know more about, uh, you know, your journey, personalized journey and Yale, how was that? Okay. Um, it was an experience for sure. Because <laughs> I started screwing the brink of COVID. So that experience was a bit, a bit not entirely what it, I, it should have been for sure. And I always envy those that came after us, my badge specifically, because we started online. And then when we eventually, because when I, 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 when I started my first semester, I did that actually back in Ghana because the borders were closed. I couldn't move out of Ghana. So eventually I came to the U.S. after doing my fit. And that was crazy because I was working with the U.S. time zone whilst I was in Ghana. So um, I had lectures when it was 12 a.m. my time, but it was like, it was still fairly okay in the U.S. That was very stressful. And of course, the academic system here is way different from what we are used to. So that's a stretch of capacity and also to do it in a very uncomfortable and unfavorable setting too. Um, that was an interesting experience, but I wouldn't take anything back because it was a stretch of capacity. And then I have a story to tell like now. 
and, and then yeah, eventually I found my way here in the US to school. Even as much as we were all in school, we couldn't be still in person. So you are on campus, but you are still doing online. That also stole a lot of um, community bonding from us. That is those that couldn't make it. Um, but I wouldn't start talking about my experience without not even seeing that the the major things that I learned um, being in a school like Yale was the importance of your personal story. And I think that for everyone, you don't have to lose that. Very important because that adds color to our world, right? Everyone has a story and that adds the beautiful color of our world. You don't need to be anyone or be everyone, but you have something and then you need to cherish it. Um, the power of your story, the power of your individuality, and then the power of your network base. Those are the things that are always, um, I've always kept to me coming from Yale, coming from a space where I have people from diverse places coming in with one common goal to learn and make an impact. Um, aside that, um, I think that when I was in school, I worked too hard. The next time I go to school, I think I'll take it a bit more easy. <laughs> Hopefully I get to go back to do a redo, but if I have the opportunity, I think I'll take it a bit more easy. Um, but when I was in school, I think for myself, I was like, you know what? I, in as much as I had my first degree in environmental science, I swayed away and did something totally off. So I have, in my mind, I, I saw it as I had a deficit. I needed to feel that. I needed um, to figure out how do I get that experience, out, even outside normal lectures, going to lectures, sitting down, listening, and what else could I do? So I decided to, for every um, class that I really enjoyed and I and I found to be something that really got me upskilled on where I want to go, I decided to be a teaching assistant. I decided to ask to be a teaching assistant for that, and then. I got the opportunity. So yeah, I, I, I even cannot say this by not appreciating two of my very lovely lecturers, which is Peter Boyd and then Todd Court, two amazing people who are very practical. They're not just teaching you what you need to know, but you see them actually um, talk about it, do it with so much passion. So I worked with them. I worked so hard. I think in one semester, I think I was in as much as I was studying, I was a T for three courses in the same semester. I, I really worked terribly hard. <laughs> and then while I, I was in school, I took on um, internships with other organizations because I, I really needed to, as I said, I needed, needed to fill that gap so quickly because it was, in as much as graduate education was two years, I'd already missed a semester and I came back and I, we're still online. I think I'd missed a whole year. So I was like, I need to figure out how to get that experience. So. I had a good opportunity to work with um, the Green Business Council. Also, I'm still in school. I got opportunity to work with WBCSD. I always try to figure out, I always mix, mix the anyway. I think it's World Business Council for Sustainable Development. Yeah, yeah I had I had the, the opportunity and privilege to work for them as well. And I worked more specifically with their transportation um, section. And I had the opportunity again to work on... Um, a framework they're trying to build for the EV section. I sort of helped them to build that. So that is to my record. But um, yeah, when I was in Yale, sincerely, I came in excited about corporate sustainability. I want to learn everything and anything. I wasn't so concerned about limiting myself to an industry, let's say energy and just learn on energy or 
maybe another industry i really wanted that what is this about if i find myself in any company how can i integrate sustainability to the barest minimum so i took interesting courses like green chemistry green engineering it was more of if i have a product how can i re-engineer this in a green way i just wanted to understand i was excited by that and we did very nice projects to figure out how else could we do something that used to be in plastic, something that is not plastic. Um, also, because of um, my whole interest in corporate sustainability, most of the courses that I did were also from the Yale Business School. So things like impact investing. If I want to invest in impact, what would that mean for a business? So, of course, for a business, we would also want to think about ESNG, the S, when it comes to corporate responsibility. If I want to invest in impact, how does that look like? As it took courses like impact measurement. Now, if I've been investing in impact, how do I measure my impact? Those things excited me. And then I took life cycle assessment. I'm like, if I'm a company and I have a product, how do I set this life cycle? I wanted to understand. I took courses like corporate sustainability and also took a few courses in accounting because the basics, what's a financial statement? I want to know what does that even mean, you know? So I went in with excitement to know bits and pieces of what it means to be sustainable as a business, as a corporate entity, barest minimum. And then if I happen to be in an industry, then I could learn a few industry-specific things. So those were the things that I learned academically. Um, also, I would say that it was a stretch of capacity. Until, until I came to you, I'd never left the shores of my home country. No, never, never. I just decided to throw myself into the U.S. during COVID. <laughs> also a very challenging time. So, yeah, it, it was it was it was fun. It was it, well, it wasn't always fun when I was in school. <laughs> but now I think about it, and I'm like, okay, it it all comes to shape you as an individual. And I met so amazing people, people that genuinely want to see what you carry your potential and nurture in a way they could. I also decided to take on some other responsibilities that were not academic. I worked with um, one um, one of our one of our one one entity in our school, one body in our school, which was also into um, student well being. I helped also with projects in that line. I also was the lead for um, we have Africa Africa students interest group as a lead for that um before i joined i didn't think it even really existed but well we tried to make it a lie it was more of people who are from the diaspora or people who are interested in africa how do we come together and then see how we could build a community right so yeah those are some of the things that i got myself busy with but all in all one of the things that i learned um that i don't think i'll ever forget or i learned from having to experience that is to genuinely support people. Because I remember when I was in my final years, I was always reaching out to alumni and it was so great people. They would have time for you, chat with you, um, offer advice, which is something that I think I would want to always pass on to anyone that ever needs direction. So yeah. That's it. <laughs> that was really wholesome. And uh, yes, I completely agree with, you know, having a good uh, alumni network because it, it, it it's really important because right when you're on the cusp of graduating, you have so many questions. You're like, okay, I've done this. I've invested so much. I have to take the next step in a, in a corporate field or nonprofit or whatever you're going to work in. And you have no idea. I can imagine about people I bothered to read my CV. Oh my goodness. 
like, can you please check my CV to know if, well, I've dotted my eyes, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, I paid up. It's so sweet. And I'm, I'm so happy you had such a good experience. So, um, you know, interestingly, you said you took courses like green chemistry and, you know, a little bit science-related courses. So I think that's a little possible only if you have a science background. So why don't you take me through your life in Ghana and, you know, okay. what did you study and a little bit about your work that then paved your path to get to Yale? Okay, so um, and then I think I mentioned initially on my impact sustainability that I initially was considering the medical field and then here I am in the environment space. So um, I... My first degree was environmental science. Before then, I didn't even know something like that existed. All I had put in my mind and my brain, you know, like African parents, you're either a doctor or a lawyer, full stop. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I'm like, I have to be, a, I can't be a lawyer. I don't like talking. So I think the next option is in the medical space. And then I didn't get in. And then a friend was like, mm, we should consider environmental science. So yes, that took me on a path of environmental science on this it's college. It's a whole four years. So we did so many things. We did waste management. We did oceanography. Um, we did so many things that I never experienced before. But in all of that, it gave me a breadth, not necessarily a depth, because it was more of introducing us to environmental science. So we did microbiology. We did broadly what environmental science is all about, right? The ocean, the rocks, a bit of corporate related stuff so bits and pieces of that um and that that sort of pushed me into thinking about environment in that way however before I went to college in high school I did science my favorite um my favorite course of all time was chemistry it made sense it made sense because I could figure out okay h2o 2ho it made sense like I looked forward to them. Like, when it's chemistry, I'm like, oh, God, I love this course. You know, I, I didn't necessarily like physics. It was it was too much math. Like, not necessarily math, but it was too engineering-wired. Maybe because perhaps maybe I love my chemistry chapters. They're so cool and chill. But I really love chemistry. So, And that is why I, I keep saying I really love green engineering. I love circular economy. Like, it always makes sense to me. So... In high school, I, I, I took more science-based um, science courses because I saw myself moving into that line of like the science part. And then when I was done with college for four years, I worked for a year with our environmental protection agency in Ghana, and I worked with the climate um, change section. So that also, in as much as I, was, I just worked there for a year, I didn't do so much, but that also gave me a bit because then we were we were preparing to go to the COP. I mean, forgotten which which number, which COP number. But then we we're preparing to go for COP, and there was so much happening. We had to do internal campaigns on climate change. So that introduced me a bit to what it really means to sort of regulate. Because it was an agency, so regulate what businesses are doing as it relates to protecting the environment. So what ideally we would go to some businesses, see the kind of gases they're using. My session, we also paid attention to ozone. So look at what are some of these, um, what what gases are these refrigerants, what refrigerants are these companies using, right? Are they are they the right ones? So would ideally go as a team and check all that. So that gave me a bit of a background. I did that for one year and then that was when I moved way up to the not-for-profit and then all I was doing was running around being busy. 
temperamentally, I am an organizer. So I love to do a lot of background. I love the energy, that, that, that adrenaline to sort of pick something from nothing and make it into something. And then it's so nice, but no one gets to see who did it. That kind of, that kind of <laughs> thing. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that was my journey in Ghana from high school, doing science, lab and chemistry, and then moving to college, doing environmental science, not loving everything I was taught, but a few things made sense, which I held on to, and then moving to the environmental protection agency, working with them for a year. And then moving to a not-for-profit space whereby I really did nothing so into environmental science. And then that gave me the feel of corporate business. And then, then I had to figure out how to piece the two from my environment to my corporate to make something, to start thinking around corporate sustainability, right? So that is it um, from Ghana to the U.S. That's awesome. And it, it I know you said that it wasn't a conventional path, uh, but it, it is the path that sort of makes sense, like the block. Uh -huh. sort of fit so yeah I mean, that's awesome that good for you that you had uh, a good journey that led you to yeah. where you are today so you know, a lot of people when they go to school for you know a niche topic let's say sustainability they usually have a hard time uh, equating what they learned in their masters or bachelors to their actual work Right, but I'm getting a sense maybe you uh, learned a lot more at your master's which you're directly able to, you know, work with in your day-to-day -day work. So if you could give me your top two or three skills or hard or soft skills that you learned specifically at Yale that help you today at your job in Deloitte. Okay, so I think that, and really when it comes to career paths and trying to discover what you really want to do, is really on and never end in journey because we as individuals we also evolve our interests change um what we are passionate about changes because a life events can switch like quickly switch your world view and could also throw you into something different in terms of being passionate um about what you you hold or believe strongly in um with regards to what i learned in school i think that for every stage in my life there was always something that i have in my personal toolbox that i've carried with regards to soft skills, I think it also boils down to knowing who you are. I mentioned earlier on that I'm a very organized person. For myself, nature-wise, I'm also very introverted. You'd have to actually force me to be in front of people to do something. I love to be at the background, still do what I need to do, but no one should see me, right? So it's important that you know yourself, know what you're also passionate about because you ideally would find a lot of people in the career path because it's lucrative. But if you see that it's 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 a you can see the the the, the difficulty. You can see that whatever the person is producing is not coming from a place of I love what I'm doing. It's coming from a place that I have to do. Let me just do it and go right. So um, trying to connect that academic everything I learned academically and what I'm doing now is not entirely the same because. Now in the work field, it has this practicality to it because you need to find a way to make what you have learned academically make sense to what you are doing practically. However, with soft skills, writing is very important, very important. One of the things that were helpful is when I was in Yale, I decided to join. Um, we have this. Um, I I I I seem to forget that the name we we had. But I think it was called environmental communication also. 
So I knew that I was going to go into a career that would, in environmental management, that would ideally start in the U.S. or wherever. And I'm coming from Africa. Definitely there are going to be some communication gaps or things with communication I need to learn. And for that reason, I was like, I need to take courses like environmental communication, which I did. I joined um, a course. So this course actually teaches you how to write articles. So I took this course just to figure out what do I need to learn with how to write well. And even if I don't get it all figured out during this course, the materials that I have stays with me and I can always revisit that. So these were actually deliberate things that I decided to do. So again, know yourself, know where you want to go to, what you need, and knowing where you want to go to is also would require a lot of research. And I've always said that you may not know to a large extent what you want to do, but there's even a little weeny tiny desire somewhere that would definitely direct you what to or show you where you are. So then you start, you need to talk to the right people, try and figure out who do I speak to? This is what I'm thinking. What do you think? You may know more than I do. How are you seeing this, this space? How is it growing? What do you think? Where do you think I should focus on? Not necessarily because it's creative, but where do you see more traction going, right? So I speak to so many people, a lot of people. In, in Yale, we have what we call CBay the Center for Business and the Environment, Yale Center for Business and the Environment. And we have a lot of alumni that um, have signed on to sort of mentor people. And they hold these five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes session every day. So you just go on the calendar, figure out what works for you and you, you do that. I think I was doing that so many times to the point that one interesting thing that happened was um, I eventually found one alumni who happened to come from Africa. And then I... I I reached out and then I was proactive. And that's something that I would encourage everyone to. After my first conversation, I asked, can I keep this? Can can I keep this like going? And it was like, oh, no problem. So I kept, I think I kept a whole year calendar with him. So I think every month, I think the last ride of every month we'll chat. And then he gets to always know where are you now? Because he was in the business world in sustainability. So where are you now? What are you? So he coached me through my journey when I got an intention what to do. When I, as soon as I start the questions, I should start asking. And I did not only with him, I did with other alumni. So I had, I've always believed that in a multitude of counsel, there's safety. So I always, and I would advise anybody, don't get tired of asking people to help you. The only way you'd get help is if you ask. So. That was very helpful to me. I still wasn't sure where I wanted to go. And trust me, I still am not sure if I want to really hone down to just focus on an industry because I'm still excited about sustainability as a whole, right? So speak to more people, better understand what is out there, try and figure out what you you really love or what you, if you see yourself drawn to most of the times. And then try and figure out what is needed. What's the gap? I wanted to improve on my my communication and writing I did so and then there's also a few um, people I spoke to on how to tell your story anyone would want to ask you where you're from you need to tell it in a way that that makes sense right tell your journey so something I also learned um, and I'm still learning 
because the more you you talk about it, you you speak to people, you learn their story, it helps you also refine the arts. So soft skills writing is very important. Speaking is very important, and that is why I'm here with you today. This is also, in as much as this is fun to do, it's also my opportunity to learn, um, right, um, how to communicate better, um, and then speaking to people a lot. I I hesitate to want to give people step by step. Because it doesn't ideally work for everybody when you say that start from one and then from there go to two and from there go to three. Because someone may start from three and then move to one. It's more about better understanding where you want to go. Even if you don't know where you want to go, just speaking to people and understanding what their journey has been. And maybe with time, things become clearer. So that was what has helped me. I spoke to so many people. And interestingly, I remember when I was going to Yale, um, before I got to Yale, I'd already... Sh- purchased things from Amazon and it had already gone ahead of me. So when I got to here, I had everything I needed. And my friends were like, how did you do this? And I'm like, because I spoke to so many people and they were like, you know what? Use my accounts to order stuff, you know? So it's all about talking, 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 finding the right network, being a bit more intentional, and then just keeping the focus going. It's not going to be easy. I think that it's something that we don't talk about. It's not an easy journey because there are times whereby you, you have some low vibes here and there. But one thing that I always tell people that it's just okay. It's just okay not to understand now, or it's not okay not to have it all figured out now. What is not okay is if you give up. That is not okay, right? Because I always tell myself, and that is why I said initially that I'm always, I'm always looking for an opportunity to sort of encourage people. I would always tell myself that someone would need my story to want to keep forging on so perhaps with your challenges you getting up through and pushing harder with you wanting to do this podcast it's someone's sign of "Mm, i think i should do this or i think i shouldn't give up right so yeah the only thing that's not right is when you give up (laughs) wow i think that that was really deep and uh, you've put it really well so yeah, and I think a lot of people definitely do ignore that it is it is hard, especially when, I don't know, because we, I could be saying we, but I do come from a place where networking wasn't really taught to us or ever mushed. It was like, no, you know, you're either, today you're being spoon-fed and then tomorrow you're thrown out into the real world and figure it out. Like, I feel like even for me, my learning my everything was I was exposed to so much more when I left the country mm-hmm. like you know when I started uh, getting educated at other universities and I'm like oh my god <laughs> it, it is a lot because you especially when you're going at a younger age and you're so used to things being a particular way and then you're like oh my god I have to network I have to do this and it is if we get overwhelming it is so overwhelming and um i that is definitely a skill you know when you were talking i could resonate with it so much because that's and that's pretty much how we also got connected yeah because i was like okay i see jessica's profile i love it i have to reach out to her this is me and rocket <laughs> it paid off right i'm here so uh jessica this has been awesome so i have like one a uh, big and relevant section to you know pick your brain about right now. Okay. Yeah. Before before we have to leave, and I'm going to be very sad about that because this conversation has been really wholesome and fulfilling. So you know this this part is touching upon like uh, some de- technological advancements 
and the, you know, an AI and all these new words that are being thrown left, right and center. But uh, before that, you know, we, I think anyone has to be living under a rock if they haven't heard that the world is going to end, you know, climate change is at the worst it's ever been, the urgency to take charge. So I want to hear your thoughts on that and how seriously should we be taking this? That's a very um, important question, Cynthia. Yeah, speaking to, I I presented, I did a presentation some time back. And then after that, someone asked me, what really is this whole ESG thing? What's really this whole sustainability thing? And I remember, and I'm like, really? Like, I didn't say that really. But I was like, really? Are you still new to this? I'm like, am I the only one that sees all these, like, ads and all these things? Because in my mind, I'm like, by now, people get it. But the more I speak to people and someone told me that, so say this climate change thing's a joke. Like, we are hot because we are hot. <laughs> Full stop. It will get cold when it needs to get cold, right? But I think that the facts are there. The science sees it all. Um, our world then is not our world now, for sure. And it's all because of the decisions and um, the choices that we are making currently. Um, I do know that now people are being a bit more conscious. Now people are taking their eating habits seriously. Now you see more people wanting to drive EVs, which is very great. But it all boils down to the fact that, and I need to explain a bit about greenhouse gases, how this is impacting us and how we need to be a bit more. And of course, not everyone wants to own a car. That's understandable because it makes your life easy. But then again, there's a lot of emissions here and there, right? Everyone wants to be innovative, but in doing though, in, in doing that though, you want to consider to what extent am I um, impacting our planet by being innovative? Is it something that is helping us or something that is meant to cause some impasse later on because we want to be innovative? And I'd always use this example like microplastics. It's so great for a woman to want to use micro, like these scraps. It's so cool. But of course, you, you wash it down, it, it goes out and then it goes into our water bodies and we, we know what could possibly happen to um, our, our fishes and whatever it is that are in these water bodies, right? So the urgency is there. And as I, I said initially, that when we talk about ESG, most people only think about climate change. That's great. But what about the S and the G? There's so much happening in this space that I, I always wouldn't want people to just limit it to climate change. Of course, we need to maintain this two degrees global warming or even below, right? Because we could see the signs. I'm like, this year, I'm like, where is the snow? Like from last year into this year, it took quite some time. I'm like, where is the snow? And then when it came, I'm like, is that all? These are signs to show that something is changing. And I think it's for, for all of us, it's our responsibility to ensure that we are doing something in our own small way. Most often when we talk about climate change, we are only talking about businesses, pushing businesses, pushing companies. You guys are the ones doing the, this. But human beings drive these companies, right? And of course, the older generation will go and the younger ones will come. That's why for me, it's also important. How are we driving this home to younger people? It's not just about doing ads that only older people or people in the corporate space can understand. How are we making these young ones believe so strongly in the fact that we need to have a sustainable lifestyle? When I go into the shower, I'm not going to use so much water. How do you find a way to make this relatable to someone that, you know what, using a lot of water? It really means that you're using water that someone else could use and this is one plus one to two, and then it goes that way. It makes it more relatable by just saying that if you do A, B, you happen full stop. You either take it or leave it. 
you have to bring the person on the journey. And that is something that is very important to me. And shows like yours are very helpful because it helps people to better understand it in a very, in, through storytelling, to a more relatable way, right? So I cannot say it enough that this urgency is there. We, and I also wouldn't want to um, disregard the fact that people are making efforts to want to do something, but there's more we could do. Businesses can start figuring out along our supply chain, how can we do a bit more responsible sourcing? However we are doing it now, how else could we do it? When you even take um, fashion alone, right? Of course, we ladies always want something new. <laughs> when I wear something once or twice, I'm like, do I still keep wearing this? You know, we have to find a different way. I was I was just having a chat with someone, the person like, do you know that to dye cotton, it would take more dye than to dye maybe something else well i didn't know by my mind cotton is so comfortable i prefer cotton or something else but i haven't thought about it in this way right and what's what's the point if i'm going to buy cotton and it feels good i'm only going to wear that those clothes just once and get rid of it but the impact is so great maybe we'll want to reconsider so these are things that everyone should start thinking about from all industries from all sectors even from people at homes and now i see that people are doing a great job now Individuals who go to shops and they want to read labels. They want to check what's in this. Um, is it green? Um, is this coffee I'm buying? Do I see fair trade? Are they really treating these farmers well? And uh, we need more of that because every company wants to please their consumers. So if we consumers are being a bit more intentional, I think we'll go a long way. And you don't need to know all the chemistry and science to this. Just just see what's happening. Just see the changes in the weather. Just see everything that is happening and believe that indeed our world is changing. But we can, even in a very small way, and I know that most people have the mindset that the little I do will not make a difference. It really makes a difference because it's really a ripple effect. If you stop buying this product for some time, the company will do a switch because you've stopped buying it. And that makes a difference. So for companies, we should start thinking about what are we going to consider along our supply chain? Um, what else could we do more disruptive in terms of the innovations? Just recently, this, this, this recently, I realized that I've been to quite a number of my company events and the water we use is not in plastic bottle. It's actually in paper, paper box. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, so now we are facing other plastic and we are using these paper. And not only is that paper box, it's biodegradable. So when it goes into the soil, it becomes food for plants. Nothing is wasted, right? So these are some of the things that companies also need to start thinking about. Um, the technology you use, how else could you do it? the talent. So yeah, it's urgent. Things are not the way it used to be, but we still need to ensure that we are leaving the planet a safe place for the generations to come to enjoy it. Right. So, and then we also have, um, a lot of, we are having crisis with biodiversity. Um, of course people will say, of course, you're not in the dinosaur age. <laughs> you don't expect to see dinosaurs as time it faces out, but why would you want to enjoy something today and not have the future generation enjoy seeing? That for me is a concern. So the posterity here is very important. And we also have to start thinking about that. Everyone loves their children for sure. So if we want to drive and tell the story in the light of these things, and not only about what is in it for me in terms of dollar value, maybe it could also make an impact. Yeah. That makes sense. So listening to you right now, I have thought of two questions that I really want your opinion on, okay? So one, you know, you, you did touch upon the fact that, um, of course, there are regulations being passed for companies at a company-wide level. 
but individuals should also you know try to make their mark and try to be more sustainable and i completely agree like you know it should be both ways but what is your take on like you know if companies are not pressurized like for example coca cola pepsi these are all like the biggest polluters you know on our on our planet so are there any other solutions where you think it's better to be pushing these companies because get how many consumers would have to sort of you know like sort of go go through pepsi to for them to actually make a change so do you think that they should be doing more should governments into i think of course no no company wants to face any litigations so it's it's great news that we have um our regulators really really um pushing hard on this cuz i think that at this point that is one of the major ways that companies will listen major ways that companies because no one will want to be attached with any lawsuit or anything of that sort so i think that the regulators have started doing that and that's great we want to see more of that now we even have the um we we have what we call the FAR act right which is the federal um supplier climate resilience um act i hope i got the name right but it's quite a long name but for for that if you are a federal contractor you need to have a particular and you sort of win contract from government based on a particular threshold dollar wise you need to be able to report on your impact what with regards to the environment climate change before you be awarded these contracts this is great now of course this is an incentive to make people set up so if i'm someone who has contract with government i would definitely would have to set up right so I think that at this point activism is so great we see that happening and regulators are coming on board we already have um agencies who have been trying their best like the EPA um but having the full force of regulators to back that has also been very great and we see the change now we have a lot of companies reaching out this rule this rule hits us what do we do this hits us we have um the California um we have the California rule as well bill as well that is also pushing us so if you're a company and you have footprint in california you don't have an option you have to start reporting on your emissions tell us what you are doing how to be transparent and now we also see investors also owning this we have so many alliances we have investor alliances who are also finding ways to sort of help the companies they are investing in to um, even have uh, net zero targets right so it's it's a as i said in shay it should be a collaborative thing everyone should own this shareholders should own this stakeholders should own this employees should own this start trying to figure out ask your hr ask people what are you doing in sustainability we don't see anything right um peer performance that's why peer benchmarking is very important because before if for nothing at all companies like competition so if their peers are doing they also want to do that so most of um most of if oh, company A is doing company B wants if Coca-Cola is doing this maybe another company the beverage speed wants to do that so let's keep that healthy competition collaborativeness everyone has a role they need to play from media um who are who also will need to push this call out people who are not doing what they need to do or are being very adamant everyone has a role to play and once we all do that we don't leave that only to companies to figure out but and these are all enabling um areas in as much as some are uncomfortable we need it so regulators need to do their job investors also have to push a bit more right and then stakeholders customers customers should not give up on wanting the right thing um employees should ask questions 
Because at a point, no, no millennial even would want to be in a company who's not thinking about sustainability, right? So, yeah. That, that's a good opinion. Um, and then... Or even Gen Z. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can't go anywhere without Gen Z today. Yeah. But... Uh, we run this show now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had another question about... Actually, it's one of the topics that came up in another podcast episode that I did. Um, it, was, it was with an environmental lawyer, you know. And she was giving us her take on, uh, you know, some of the regulations that are a little anti-developing countries. Like, let, let me explain. So, you know how there's a lot of pressure that everyone has to reduce emissions, has to reduce waste, and then so on and so forth. And developing countries are getting impacted, let's say, more negatively than developed because the developed countries have already exploited the world of their resources by colonization or like, you know, in like unfair trade deals, for example, and they've built all their infrastructure and, uh, you know, established a particular way of life, let's say. And developing countries are now, I mean, they only received the agency to do so, let's say, recently in the last few decades or so. And now they get, they, they feel that they're getting unfairly, you know, placed at the same, it, it, it can't be a level playing field, right? So what is your take on that? Have you experienced or this in your work life or at school or anywhere? I think that, um, well, I think before I even left my home country, left Africa to come here, I hadn't really seen any um, much traction or much talk on corporate sustainability or sustainable. Other than the fact that I worked in um, the Environmental Protection Agency and we were trying to work through how to sort of pick what we are hearing from the COP conferences or the COP events and then bring it home to figure out what we need to do. And it's no news, so it's no surprise that we, um, the developing world, are facing the impact more as it relates to climate change. And that's where environmental justice comes in because there's, there's no fair balance, right? Um, so that's no news as well. However, I think that what I have appreciated is the fact that now we see, for example, the EU and then the US who are not the high emitters, the high impactors now trying to work hard towards what could we do better. And I believe that all these are ripple effects. It has to start from somewhere. And we are glad that it's starting from the developed countries who are doing more of the emission to start fixing these things. It will take quite some time to see the results trickle down because all these things majorly um, has to do with decisions at every stage of a company's value chain. So decisions from the developed country, from where we get cocoa to do the chocolate in the developed country, right? And any stuff from somewhere. It's very difficult. When I was back in school, we we had to do a project on you, you had to pick a topic on corporate sustainability. And one of the topics I picked was the labor practices in developed countries and how how that is being handled with regards to what the developed country or the company, let's say a Unilever or any other country that is sort of receiving the raw material is handling that. And then a typical example, for example, I am a, a huge international or global company. I have my raw materials from a developed country. Now, child labor or having children age, um, let's say 15 and below, it's not right. How do you sort of stop this when 
a family in a developed country is actually relying on that little child to go and work in this company to bring money home. How do you say stop it because it's ethically wrong when these the backstory is there? So now you'd have to work with some of these community leaders to figure out, okay, you know what? Fine, 13 is too young. Why don't you make it 15? 15 is fairly too young, but we can't compromise. So the challenges are there in terms of we want to switch everything and change it. But there are also genuine problems that are attached to this because some of these developed countries, the reason why they are still um, they are still being exploited is because they have also sort of attached their livelihood in a way to these things. So that is why initially we started having conversations about activism and the challenges company faces. These are some of the nuanced approaches that we need to take because it's very nuanced. It, it, re it requires a lot of um, dialogue, a lot of considerations, a lot of, because mind you, these are, you making some changes are sort of you doing a paradigm shift to an extent of something that people have been so used to. Yeah, the developed, the developing countries are actually having the impact, but some way, some of, they've also built their life around some of these things, right? So. It's 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 not one size fits all. It's more about let's look at these these things case by case. Let's delve into it and try and figure out what are the actions we need to take to sort of work it through. Now we also have issues with indigenous people. They are communities, right? Companies come in and then everyone has to go because they need to set up a company. This company is gonna give livelihood to someone else. What about the other person who's losing their livelihood because of you? So there's also nuanced, and we have to deal with them and figure out. Now, thank goodness, we have a lot of conferences now. Um, we have leaders paying attention to some of these things. So hopefully we will start seeing the fruit of all these things, and then it becomes a ripple effect and things change. It's not going to be instant, but we know it will get better. We are getting there, yeah. right? So, yeah. Nice. Okay. Good to have your opinion on, you know, these things because huh. I also think it's great to start a dialogue on these topics because um, there are a lot of people, you know, on social media or everywhere who are like, oh, look at these developed countries telling us what to do. It is it is completely a very nuanced, uh, you know, topic and I really hope with every passing year, we do take every, you know, situation possible case by case you know, learn what we can do best and then create like a curated solution. There was also one case study that um, I took a course in sustainable supply chain back in school. And then there was this case on microplastics for cosmetics. And there's this um, country, a developing country, whereby one of what the community people do is just go around, pick plastics, these empty bottles, and then they gather it for these companies are come and pick it. And some of these plastics are used for microplastics. Now, if I'm going to stop using microplastics, that means that for every, this whole entire community that has built their livelihood around picking plastics, they are losing their job, right? So it's nuanced um, and we have to deal with it in that way. Yes, we need to stop totally, but we don't just stop. How do we figure out what else can these people do, right? So. You have to give people a sustainable alternative. That is not just the responsibility of companies, right? It's okay. Even if it's the community, the leaders, everyone, everyone needs to play a role. It, it, that's why I, I've, I, I said earlier is 
sort of a collaborative effort. It's not just about you need to stop, stop. Can we stop but figure it out in a way that doesn't leave other people in a spot of injustice, right? Completely makes sense. And that brings me to one of the, the, the last question, right, Jessica? So uh, coming back to tech, right, technological advancements and AI. So is there any recent technological advancement that maybe you've worked with or uh, that has really taken the sustainability world by storm? Maybe some AI intuition here and there. Is there anything that you've come across in that space? I think that um, if to start off with, perhaps we just started with what is more relatable. And I did talk about um, disclosure reporting as it relates to ESG. Now we see a lot of softwares up now trying to make it easy for us to sort of account for our emissions, et cetera. We now have softwares that are building people's emission inventories for them. We don't now have to pick Excel and then put everything into it, which is also one of the ways where technology is sort of helping to or enable we to be a bit more proactive in how we are paying attention to sustainability in how we are disclosing our, our impact. So some of these softwares, now we have a lot of like companies coming up with, we have the, 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 the sustainalytics, we have all these trying to use technology to make it easy for us to report. Interestingly, now we have, of course, some some disruptive um, technologies now like ChatGPT and the others who are making it so easy for you to just put a thought in and then they just make life easy for you, right? Which I'm so appreciative of when it comes to, really when it comes to climate change, it's more about the emissions, right? The energy consumption. And now we have a lot of technological advancements. We even have um, hydrogen. People would would um, would announce there are companies that are now considering hydrogen as a, as a better alternative when it comes to energy. We also have these smart grids and energy management, whereby yes, we are using grid, but in a better way, right? You have um, now people even going into solar, renewable energy, finding better ways to consume energy. We also have AI, of course, that is the amazing things pairing that with blockchain. We see how that using data or being able to house a lot of data and how that is transformative in a business. We are also looking at, of course, I mentioned a bit on circular economy solutions. It's amazing how you would pick a product, how you can have a plastic noun put in soil and then you come back in a month's time or so and it's turned into soil. Amazing. These are disruptive um, technological advancements we have. Um, yeah, we have AI, we have smart grids and energy management, we have um, circular economy solutions. We also have um, companies now using tech in terms of transparency and traceability, and it's all still tied to blockchain. How can we find a way to look into our supply chain to figure out where the loopholes are, what we need to do? It's unending because you keep seeing, you keep hearing, you keep experiencing new things. And I'm so excited for what the future holds as it relates to um, the intersection of sustainability and then technology, right? So, yeah. And that brings me to an end of a very informative and um, I would say in-depth conversation. I hope, Jessica, you felt uh, something similar. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I just hope um that 
someone has someone thinks <laughs> because he has something we, we spoke about here and i do hope that this makes an impact because really that's the most important thing and i'm so glad to share my point of view on all of these because these are my point of views with my experience being in this space um but one thing that i would also would want to acknowledge that and i know that is one of the stresses of people is that it's an evolving space. What we thought we knew now, now changes. And it's like, oh, you need to learn something else. Oh, it's changed, right? So people also need to be patient enough to go along this journey. So, yeah, I hope that this is part of that, part of someone's journey to discovering truth, to discovering what they need to do. So I'm glad I'm part of the story. Yeah, Jessica, before we go, can you look into the camera and give, you know, any young person or any person looking to make like a career move or a career shift into sustainability, any parting words of wisdom? All right. So um, my parting wisdom, <laughs> very unsolicited from you, but I do hope that it's helpful. What I could say and I, I said in this podcast is just stay true to what you believe in. But most importantly, I do hope that you believe in what's right as it relates sustainability, it's a lifestyle. And once we understand it in that way, it's helpful. And for anyone who's trying to figure out what next do I do in sustainability, just take it a step at a time. Speak to people. You should never run out of um, gaining wisdom, right? Speak to people, better understand their journey and see how you could always connect the dots. It's okay to not have it all together. A step at a time, but um, enjoy the journey and Let's do this together. And then you could always reach out to me on LinkedIn if you need some thoughts. I'll be happy to chat. That is so sweet. We're going to definitely link uh, Jessica's LinkedIn in the description box. So yeah, this brings us to an absolute end. It's been my pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Jessica. I enjoyed being with you today, for sure. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And goodbye.